What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada Sports Betting Podcast, the March Madness Sweet 16 Preview, presented by CoolBet. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, Cinderella's and star-studded showdowns. I'll go game by game, breaking down each of the Sweet 16 matchups, what to watch for in each of the eight games, and how I'm betting each one of them, either against the spread in Survivor or with regards to our futures portfolio. What are my best bets for the weekend, and can anyone really win and move on to the Elite Eight? It's time to head to the window. Let's go! Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. It's the Sweet 16 Preview, and I don't know if you missed it the last couple of nights. Well, last night and the anticipation for tonight. Um, I didn't. I don't know why that necessarily is. I feel like this week has gone by incredibly quickly, and I attribute that to Monday's basketball. And so I don't know if this is a popular opinion. Maybe this is an unpopular opinion. I kind of like this format. Yeah. I really do. I like the Friday to to Monday. I like that we had all the play-in games on Thursday. I realize we're probably going back to the way things once were, but you never know with <laughs> when it comes to these leagues. And of course, in the case of the NCAA, this association, where you know, are they going to make these changes permanent? Are you know, are they not? Obviously, I understand why these changes were made to tighten up the tournament and give their you know give their little more leeway between. Uh, the conference tournaments and the big tournament, but yeah, I'm kind of into it. And I know, you know, this weekend could be long from a standpoint of we're going back to back to back to back with these games. And if there's a dreadful game in there somewhere, you know, it's going to be a long gap between the next one starting. I know that. So I reserve, you know, sort of official judgment for after this weekend. Uh, but I do like the standalone element as we get into better matchups. You know, I've talked about earlier on the podcast about how I wish some of these matchups were better, certainly for Saturday. Um, you know, looking back on it now, I look at my, you know, the bracket or, you know, just basic contest stuff, and I just sort of think to myself, man, my life would be a lot better if Illinois had just won that game against Loyola Chicago. Like, that was really the only thing, fundamentally, that went badly. I mean, you know, you're going to lose against the spread bets. You know, you're going to lose survivor picks. And as long as, you know, it's just a survivor pick that you can rebuy into, it's kind of not that big of a deal, especially for the greater good of being interested in the tournament and having upsets and all of that kind of thing, right? Having entertaining games, a 15 beating a 2, etc., etc. And so, yeah, I just kind of wish Illinois was still around. And I, and it doesn't mean that I don't wish Loyola w was still around either. Again, you know, as I talked about before, I just wish they were both still around, and both and both were in uh, a different uh, a different pod, if you will, and never had to play each other. So again, going back to Selection Sunday and seeing that the bracket come out that way, it was sort of the writing was on the wall very very early on. Uh, we'll do a little. Let's do that hockey later on, sort of to finish up the podcast. Not necessarily a ton to talk about with what just one game to play on the NHL uh, on the NHL docket tonight, um, but. Let's just get into it. Sweet 16, basically we're going to do kind of like, you know, three, four, five minutes, hopefully, uh, on each individual game, talking about obviously the spread, you know, the total, uh, 
bet percentages, the Ken Palm ratings, and fundamentally the handicap, and then how I'm going to bet it based on, you know, all of the other stuff that we have going on with the tournament. And let's start off with, obviously, chronological. Loyola Chicago and Oregon State here. The line currently minus seven, um, sort of toggling back and forth between minus six and a half and minus seven, you know, so you can get Oregon State plus 115, uh, you know, on or excuse me, plus seven at minus 115. Or you can get Loyola Chicago minus six and a half at minus 115, so depending on the book that you have. Total 125. And I think that's sort of instructive more than it is sort of like, oh, I'm just, you know, dying to bet a total in this game because you're going to need, you know, probably both teams to get to the 60s to hit an over in this game. But I think what's instructive about it is, you know, it's going to be a low scoring game. The market is all agreed that points are going to be at a premium. And that matters in a game that's lined this high. And so, you know, bet percentage is 51 to 49. So it's not like, you know, that makes a big deal, a big difference. Bet percentages aren't something that I normally look at with the exception of the NFL. I think that's the only league that it's instructive where you can see, oh God, everybody's on one side of this game. And then you can decide whether you want to be on that same side as everybody else, or whether you think that there's some handicap in there that you can create that has some value sort of fading the public. Well, once we get into the Sweet 16 and obviously Elite Eight, Final Four, and Championship game, the money, you know, <laughs> there's a lot more of it, frankly, when we look at these games, right? And especially going off as one-off individual games, you're going to have a higher handle for each and every game. There's not going to be games that fall through the cracks. Now, I've talked about in, in the past, you know, a week or so ago, Talking about volume and not needing to bet every single game. And I realize that's going to be incredibly difficult. And it's why I'll sort of have a take on each, you know, each individual game here. And so for this first game, I think there's actually a really interesting way that we can play this. Now, the Ken Palm projections, KenPalm.com, has this as Loyola as a 10.5 point favorite over Oregon State. Now, Ken Palm projections don't necessarily sort of make you know, make it automatic that you bet one side or the other, because obviously that takes into account stuff that happened in November, in December. And in some cases, January is pretty useless as well. And I think obviously that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big case to be made for Oregon State as being completely useless um, informationally up until this run that they've been on. And this run hasn't been a joke. 9 of 10, or 9 of 11, I believe, and, you know, a four-point loss to Colorado in there, and a loss to Oregon when Oregon shot 66% from the three-point line, you know, 14 of 21, you're just not going to win that game, and so beyond that, a lot of really good opponents that Oregon State has handled, and, you know, from a handicapping standpoint, it's going to come down defensively, not that surprisingly, given that this number is 125, you know, Loyal, what do they want to do? They're going to run the offense through Cameron Crutwick right? The top of the key, you know, a lot of cutters happening. Um, he's, you know, dri dribbling and dribbling and dribbling and, and getting an angle and up and unders and a lot of sort of quote unquote old man type basketball. And Wayne Tinkle, I think is a really good coach from a defensive standpoint. You know, we saw him have a plan for Cade Cunningham and that obviously had more to do with the perimeter plan in doubling him off of any screens, um, you know, going to a zone that doubled him and forced other guys on Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State to beat them and that's sort of a ballsy play because we had seen the rest of the guys on Oklahoma State play so well but I think he knew that was kind of the only option that they had uh, you know Loyola comes in and you know they just watched them play Illinois and Illinois game plan was 
Kofi's got this, right? Kofi Coburn, they're obviously big seven foot center, is like, oh, he's got this under control. Well, okay, like that is a plan. It just wasn't a plan that worked. And Oregon State doesn't have that same guy. So I think that actually works out well for Oregon State because they don't have one guy that they go, okay, you just take Krautwig and we're all set, right? So from a defensive standpoint, it's going to force them to throw a bunch of different looks at Loyola Chicago. And I think that's going to be pretty effective. Uh, Ethan Thompson, from an offensive standpoint for Oregon State, with one of the quietest 26.7 rebound games you'll ever see, in and out with four fouls, you know, while everybody and, and their dog were in foul trouble in that game. And so fundamentally here, you know, I think Oregon State's going to be able to defend what Loyola wants to do because I trust Wayne Tinkle to be able to put together a plan. I don't necessarily know what that plan means. Maybe it's just doubling Krautwig when he gets it to the, you know, into the high post area um, and force him to pass and then see if the other guys can make shots. Now, if the other guys make shots, then okay, like that's going to be problematic for Oregon State. Now, am I saying that they're going to win this game outright? No, because I think defensively, you know, Loyal Chicago is going to be quite good against Oregon State as well. They have, uh, you know, the guys to be able to sort of sh shut down uh, Ethan Thompson. They're going to be able to, um, you know, I don't think Oregon State's going to be shooting a ton of threes or have success shooting a ton of threes in this game. So I think Loyola wins this game. And that's not, you know, rocket science by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I'm not willing to lay this amount of points here against an Oregon State team that is playing really, really well. And there's not a lot of flash. And like I said, you know, the Thompson 26 points is like, you know, I remember him being in foul trouble, but I don't remember him scoring constantly. And you've seen these other guys step up. Oregon State's 25th in the country, you know, versus three-point defense, you know, for their three-point defense. So again, I think it's going to be low scoring. I think points are at a premium. So I would lean to Oregon State covering this game. But I think where there is value here from a strictly numbers perspective is actually betting Loyola to win the Midwest. And I've got a couple of sites here, coolbet.com being one of them, that offers Loyola at plus 160 to win the Midwest. And so, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about wanting to, you know, throw a money line parlay with a couple of favorites based on the fact that they think that Loyola is, you know, has, is or has a really high probability of winning this game. And I don't disagree with obviously them having a high probability of winning the game. I really just more disagree with wanting to parlay them with anybody else, you know, from a value standpoint, right? Like, I don't know that the, the minus two whatever on Alabama or minus two whatever on Baylor are where I want to go with this. What I want to do is I want to effectively parlay Loyola with Loyola. And what I mean by that is in the next round. So if we're parlaying Loyola money line, we need them to win, right? And then our second leg of our parlay, we need that to win too. And I think at plus 160, if you parlay Loyola to win, you know, this game with themselves, which of course means just to win the region, at plus 160, I think there's value there because, you know, what are the two options if Loyola wins this game? Option number one, and the more likely option, is a matchup with Houston in the next round. Well, what's the spread going to be in that game? The projected Ken Palm difference is four. Well, I don't, you know, think about it yourself, right? If Houston was minus four, uh, against Loyola Chicago in the regional final, where would you bet? You would bet on the Loyola side. You would take the four points with Loyola against Houston. 
So I think this number's got to be lower than that. I think that will be adjusted. And I think it'll be adjusted down to two and a half, maybe even two, you know, depending on how the teams look. But obviously, if they both, both advanced, I don't know that there's going to be one team that looks discernibly better than the other, um, or more impressive, I should say. So this number ends up being, you know, Houston minus two, minus two and a half, which from a money line standpoint is um, minus 130 and plus 110 for Loyola. So sort of a worst case scenario is we're parlaying their minus 290 with a plus 110, which, you know, doing some quick mathematics here is about plus 160 maybe even a little bit less, or depending on obviously what number you get here with Loyola's money line, as there is, a, you know, a bit of a discrepancy here and there. But like, just conservatively speaking, let's go minus 290 with Loyola Chicago, and then sort of parlay that with a plus 110. And you're getting, you know, plus 180, which obviously isn't as good. But that doesn't factor in the concept of what if Syracuse wins the game? Right. And you're sitting there. We'll get to the Syracuse game here in a little bit. But you're sitting there going like, yeah, yeah, I mean, Syracuse has a chance like we you know, pretty much anybody in this round at this point has a chance to win this game. But if Syracuse ends up being the matchup here for Loyola and now they're the favorite. Now we're talking about what a four point favorite ish with Loyola, which means now we're talking about something along the lines of minus 150, minus 160. And now you're getting all kinds of value on your plus 160 price with Loyola to win the region. So, and obviously there's a possibility that listen, like Loyola isn't even plus 110. Maybe they're plus 100 against a Houston team. And this number, you know, slowly creeps down to where plus 160 um, is the same value. So I think it's sort of a worst case scenario here. You're getting about the same number that you're getting. And so rather than try to hit another favorite here, you know, giving up minus two something, something along those lines, just to get to kind of an even money price here. I rather just take Loyola to win the region. And it also acts as something of a hedge for, you know, a game that we'll talk about here shortly. But for me, that's the play that I would do here when it comes to this game. Get that started at plus 160. Anything lower than that, I wouldn't do. I know there has been some discrepancy where, you know, um, books down south, you know, uh, sub sub border um would have been uh, pricing this at plus 130 plus 140 i think that's a little bit outrageous so plus 160 is the key number here for oregon state and loyola chicago how i will also use that money line is in survivor two picks per day uh you know straight up obviously not against the spread um I'm using Loyola there as well. So it's sort of a, let's take everything we can out of the point spread here and focus it on Loyola just advancing in this game. Uh, next up, Villanova and Baylor here. The line seven and a half creeping upwards here with Baylor. And I can see why that would be. Baylor certainly looking like a juggernaut here at 141 and a half with the total here. This is sort of a projected spread. Um, score of 75 to 67. Uh, 54% of the bet percentages seem to be on Villanova here as the underdog, which is a little bit strange. The Ken Palm projection, six, which obviously lower than the seven and a half point spread, which is a little bit unusual, but obviously that's factoring in again, right? Colin Gillespie, you know, over and over and over again, we have to talk about him. From a handicap standpoint, you know, it's easy to get excited about Villanova or sort of say that all is well uh, with them, even without Gillespie after the wins against Winthrop and North Texas. But as we've talked about, you know, like that's not exactly the world's most difficult path here. 
into the Sweet 16. Um, but we've trusted Jay Wright to this point to be able to come up with a plan here against these you know, teams that they are more athletic than. This is not what Baylor is, right? They are not more athletic than Baylor. They certainly have a couple of guys, you know, in the case of Jeremiah Robinson Earl, like that's certainly a guy who is, you know, who could easily be on Baylor, right? If you just sort of switched uniforms, you wouldn't, you know, notice. Um, Villanova in general doesn't turn the ball over a ton, which I think is going to be really important in, you know, trying to keep possessions down as low as they possibly can be. We've, you know, we've talked about Baylor as this team that isn't rated particularly highly defensively, but that doesn't mean, you know, you're going to want to get loose with the ball because they can turn those into three-pointers awfully quickly. Villanova, pretty good against defending the three. They're going to need to against Baylor's three-pointing barrage. That's not something that they need Colin Gillespie to do, right? They're long enough and athletic enough to guard inside against Baylor. There isn't that sort of difference maker there either. Um, so fundamentally here, I like I like Villanova plus the seven and a half. This isn't a best bet for me. We'll get into sort of a four-tier ranking system, if you will, of how much I like these games, you know, relative to the spread, relative to how we're going to bet them. This is a, you know, I think if you have an opportunity here, uh, or you if you have to make a bet here, I think um, Nova at plus seven and a half is a decent place to start. But what I would do from an opportunistic standpoint is I would treat this more like a live betting opportunity. For example, if Nova gets out to a to a lead, right? Maybe they hit a couple of three-pointers early on, and maybe you can get this number underneath a key number of six. And that's a key number because it's both the Ken Palm projection and a number, you know, in six that we talk a lot about that, you know, I don't want Baylor to have to win by eight, but if you're requiring them to only win by a couple of possessions because, you know, we can rely on some free throws late or something along those lines, you know, I would jump on that. That being said, if Baylor comes out and they're firing away and they're hitting threes like they did against Wisconsin, and it's a blowout type situation, I would bet on the regression of those three-pointers, right? If they come out, you know, they're hitting 50, 60% of their threes, I bet on the regression of that, and I would take Villanova, a team that, you know, I don't think is going to get blown out in this game. I would take Villanova, you know, plus double digits, something along those lines, sort of depending how far that goes. And maybe it's a matter of waiting until halftime in a very similar way that you would have against Wisconsin. I think this is probably the best live betting game because both teams can score in bunches because of how well they shoot the three. So either way, I think that's the opportunistic play in this game. But if you absolutely had to do one for, you know, contest purposes or because you just wanted to get some action in before the game started uh villanova plus seven and a half would be my play um oral roberts and arkansas again incredibly interesting game because we've got a team here a 15 seed that we just don't see right we don't see a 15 seed in the sweet 16 we don't even really see 14 seeds in the sweet 16 that being said i think this team's pretty different than most. And so, you know, the Arkansas line here favored by minus 11 and a half, obviously feels high. I think that is high, but the total at 159, you know, indicates that we're expecting a ton of scoring here, which isn't that surprising given the duo of Acemas and O'Banner for Oral Roberts. Uh, betting projections, 53% for Arkansas. So this isn't sort of a flood of everybody on one side. The Ken Palm projection is 16 points. So obviously, you know, the consideration of Oral Roberts here in the last few games um, is such that we've dropped this number in the marketplace down to 11 and a half. 
And for me, it's just a matter of can Oral Roberts hang in this game and will Arkansas let them? And so there's a couple of things here with regards to, you know, recent competition or just competition in general. Oral Roberts, even before this run here of obviously beating Florida, beating Ohio State, obviously two big time programs, you know, they were still competitive against Wichita State earlier on this year, against Oklahoma State earlier on this year. They had a rough first half versus Oklahoma, but actually won the second half in that matchup earlier on. And then, you know, a lot has been made of their game against Arkansas at Arkansas, where they you know, had a 10-point, I believe, halftime lead, and then Arkansas came back and blew them out in the second half. And we know that Arkansas is capable of those spurts. We saw that against Colgate, right? But that game was tied with eight minutes to go. So it's not like if you're betting... Oral Roberts here, I don't anticipate them being down like 20 points. And I don't, you know, again, I don't I don't want to end up on a video here, but you know, Eric Musselman, very good coach. I don't know that it's, you know, from a defensive standpoint, he's going to have a, you know, a lockdown approach here to the high ball screens that O'Banner and Aismas are running here. And this is a team that shoots a ton of threes, they make a ton of threes. And that, you know, obviously a percentage wise. And so that's going to be critical late in the game, because if we get to a point here where this game is eight points, 10 points, even if it's 14 points, we're going to need somebody to make some threes late under maybe some less than contested um, defense. And I'm not saying that Oral couldn't win this game outright or they couldn't, um, you know, stay in this game to a point where it's a one or two possession game late and we never have to worry about a cover here. I'm really just talking about what's the situation from a backdoor perspective. Are we going to be able to get late points when we absolutely have to have them? If they decide to foul down 10, are we just going to be on, you know, a slow boat to being down 14, down 16? Or are they going to be able to make buckets late? And with their offense being what it is, I think we are going to get those baskets late. So if we need the backdoor, I think, we will get the back door here with Oral Roberts. So I actually like them. Plus 11 and a half here against the Arkansas Razorbacks. And then Syracuse and Houston. And this one, I think, one of the more interesting games of the eight. Um, obviously, you've got some absolute headliners on Sunday. So maybe this is, you know, by, I think by far the more interesting, most interesting game on Saturday here. The line six and a half. And you've seen it creep up from six, which is, of course, is interesting because, you know, who have you heard that's liked Houston? You know, if you follow along and you listen to a lot of shows the way that, you know, I do, you know, you get a lot of these guests that come on and they talk about Syracuse having a chance to win. They like taking all those points with, you know, Syracuse. This total at 140, you know, projects to about a 73 to 67 type game, give or take a half point. Um, but 59% of the bet percentages are on Houston, which I think is interesting given how many people are sort of publicly backing Syracuse here and the concept that this is a ton of points. But from a Ken Palm rating standpoint, we're looking at a 12-point difference between these two teams. And from a handicap standpoint, like, you know, what's, it's always the same thing when it comes to Syracuse, right? Now, can you beat the zone? And so is Houston comfortable putting someone in the middle of the zone who can distribute? Um, are they capable of getting backdoor for maybe some alley-oops, something along those lines, right? Work the baseline of the zone. And can they hit their three-pointers? Well, they're 27th in the country and making 9.3 per game. So they're not, they're not uh, you know, they're certainly used to hitting the three-pointer. They're not shy, essentially, in firing up those threes. So when Syracuse makes you shoot threes the way they do, you're going to want to be able to, you're going to want to be comfortable in doing so, right? It's, 
when these teams sort of shoot themselves out of games with Syracuse, it's when they know going into the game, okay, we're going to have to hit a lot of three-pointers. Like, how comfortable are we doing that, right? We see that, you know, San Diego State, you know, and and, and through history, teams going up against uh, Syracuse, just firing up threes, thinking they've got open looks, or like, this is the best we're going to get. A lot of time it happens late in the shot clock. Are you comfortable shooting the three? And I think Houston is from an offensive rebounding percentage, right? We need to know, are, is this team a good offensive rebounding team? We know that Syracuse is vulnerable from a zone standpoint, right? When your, your back is to the basket constantly and the shots go up and you have to turn around and find somebody, are you playing a team that is really good offensive rebounding wise, right? We always know, we always look to back North Carolina against Syracuse because we know they're going to get that many extra possessions against Syracuse because they're the number one team in offensive rebounding in the country. Well, Houston's second from an offensive rebounding percentage. So not only are they going to be comfortable getting shots up, they're going to be comfortable going to get those shots. They're athletic enough to get behind the defense from like an alley-oop type standpoint. So I think it's going to be problematic for Syracuse, to be completely honest with you. And Houston's defense is different than what they've seen so far. Right? A top 10 defense, according to Ken Palm's metrics. San Diego State was 18th. Okay, but like how much, you know, was that sort of affected by the Mountain West schedule? Obviously, we didn't see much from Utah State, um, you know, in their game against Texas Tech. And then the other recent games where Syracuse has played is, you know, West Virginia. That's 73rd, right? That's not even close defensively to what Houston's bringing to the table. And they lost a game in the ACC tournament to Virginia. Now, on the surface, you know, Virginia, good defense, like, you know, always really efficient defensively, blah, 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 34th. So even Virginia is not remotely close to Houston defensively. And very few teams, well, essentially no teams were in the ACC because we'll talk about Florida State here coming up shortly. But they were 31st, I believe, in defensive efficiency, a team that we usually expect to be a lot better. And so from a branding standpoint, getting, you know, matchups here against Virginia, West Virginia, and San Diego State here, none of those teams are nearly as good as Houston is defensively. And Syracuse has lived by the three-pointer, shooting essentially 50% here in those first couple of games. Obviously, a lot of that is Buddy Beheim. And Houston's fifth in the country in three-point defense. So, you know, it's getting even harder and harder and harder here to see a path where Syracuse is going to be able to score much um, in this game, at least to the ease that they did before. And when things sort of broke down and they absolutely had to have a bucket, what did they do? They'd go to Buddy Beheim, they'd switch to the worst defender. You know, they managed to get a switch onto the worst perimeter defender on the other team. You know, we saw McNeil getting sort of in the in the spin cycle, if you will, against Beheim, who, you know, he's six inches shorter than, and it was just Buddy would take a couple of steps, rise up and hit a mid-range shot, if not a step back three or something along those lines. There's not that dude on Houston. There is not that single individual guy who you're like, okay, well, let's set it up to get Buddy one-on-one against him, and then they're going to have to help off of, you know, their guy, and then we're gonna, you know, Buddy's going to kick it to somebody else, and he's going to make a three-pointer. This Houston team is going to be able to play Buddy Beheim straight up, and so I think it's going to be a problem for him as well, and it's not going to be particularly uh, reliable from an offensive strategy standpoint, just giving him the ball and hoping for the best. And then the final thing is sort of like a karmic element to this game. Last we saw a really good Houston team that had a chance to make a Final Four, you know, sort of a quasi-Cinderella run as a mid-low, you know, level seed. 
was the Rob Gray team from a couple of years ago. And that team should have beat Michigan, the team that went on to win, or should say make the, the championship game against Villanova that year. And they lose on a, you know, a half-court shot that I'm going to replay for a really long time because I had a lot invested in Houston at that time. And so, you know, when it comes to this tournament, a lot of it is, do you get out of Dodge alive, right? Do you pull one out late? And when, you know, when we look back at that Michigan team, they went on and won comfortably their next couple of games getting into the championship, but it could have been different if that, you know, if a free throw gets made or the ball rattles out that late shot, you know, it was up almost a half court shot. And we never see that Michigan team make the final. And who knows, maybe Houston makes the final. Maybe Houston goes and loses their very next game. We don't really know. Well, I can't help but think that Rutgers really blew it here. And obviously they blew it for their chances. But I think their chances were pretty minimal that they were going to go any distance in this tournament. Probably going to end up losing to Syracuse because that was going to be a much tougher matchup um, for them than Houston is. And so was that Houston's like get out of jail free card in this tournament, right? Was that their close call that they probably should have gotten knocked out early, but now they're going to find themselves maybe in the final four. Wouldn't be remotely surprising. Certainly they're favored in this game. They'll be favored in the next game, no matter who they play. And so you do have to sort of, from a karmic standpoint, go, is this the payback? Was that Rutgers win a payback game karmically for losing that game to Michigan. And are we about to see Houston go on a little run here? Now everybody's concerned about Dejan Giroux's injury and how he's sort of hobbling around with that hip injury. And, you know, I certainly expect him to play and I imagine, you know, treatment and four or five days without playing and probably limited practicing is probably really good for him. Um, but, you know, when we sort of use excuses why we might not like a team or my, why we might want to be backing Syracuse here, a lot of that can come down to, just sort of using injuries as that excuse. And I just don't think that that, you know, works very often, um, especially if the injury might not be as bad as we think it is, you know, relative to how it looked on Sunday. So from a betting standpoint, you're saying, okay, well, what do we do here? What do we do? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't really have anything for you. I had something for you a week ago when I said Syracuse 40 to one to win the region. And obviously that's, you know, tons of value there, but we're down to 16 to one again, we were this close to getting Rutgers in this matchup where we would have had Syracuse as a considerable three, four, five point favorite in this game. And that would have been awesome. And that's why we make these futures bets, hoping that we can catch a break to help our path along the way. And we almost did, right? We are almost the favorite in a sweet 16 game with a 40 to one region uh, wager. It didn't happen. And it sucks. Right. And I, like I said on Monday's show, um, I was certainly cheering for Rutgers to knock off Houston and it just didn't work out. And so that's a bummer. And just because I think this is a bad matchup for Syracuse and that Houston's going to win this game, you know, doesn't mean that I'm going to be right. I mean, obviously, just from a money line, you know, probability percentages standpoint, like I am probably going to be right in that Houston's probably going to be to win this game. I guess my point here is like, don't get suckered in necessarily to Syracuse, quote unquote, getting all these points, you know, and listen, nobody's been more swimming downstream with Syracuse than I am this, you know, this tournament. So, you know, take that 
you know, with what it is, right? I'm not just blindly going like Syracuse. Yeah, like, let's, you know, keep it, keep it rolling, keep it rolling. But that being said, if they win this game, I'll be thrilled that I'm wrong because that means my 40 to 1 is going to move on to the next round against, I think, a very winnable matchup against either Loyola Chicago or Oregon State. So my bet here is essentially I'm just letting Syracuse 40 to 1 ride. And I'm hoping that I'm wrong. And so I'm giving you the handicap so that you can make your decision on, on how much, you know, do you buy into what I'm saying? Or do you think I'm just, you know, none of it makes any sense. And you think that the Syracuse run is going to keep going. And by the way, like, that might be the option, right? Like, it might not make any sense. And, like, Syracuse may win the game. And it's not going to make a ton of sense because it never really makes a ton of sense when it comes to Syracuse. I think we did a pretty good job of breaking down why they could beat San Diego State and why they might beat West Virginia. And in this case, I just have to look at it um, from an objective standpoint and say that maybe the best bet here is avoiding piling more into Syracuse and just staying away from this game. Quick interruption to remind you that CoolBet.com is the presenting sponsor for the Windows March Madness coverage. There's still time to sign up and double your deposit up to $200 of free money to bet with. If you're looking to try single-game sports betting for the first time or you're looking to add to your sportsbook repertoire, CoolBet.com is offering to double your deposit up to $200. There's a link in the description of this podcast. Otherwise, simply go to CoolBet.com, create your account, and enter the promo code WINDOW to double your deposit. Terms and conditions apply. Now, back to the betting talk. All right, let's get into Sunday's games here, which, again, let's be honest, just a way, way more interesting, way more entertaining, hopefully, slate of games here. And, you know, listen, we'll start with the one that maybe isn't going to be all that interesting or entertaining, and that's Creighton and Gonzaga. Gonzaga, now a 13-point favorite here and I think this is interesting to mention because they were a 14 point favorite so somebody out there likes Creighton and so maybe we try to understand why that is and why we might want to be on that side of that bet now total of 158 points right a far cry from Loyola Chicago and Oregon State uh, you know a clear 35 plus points uh, more expected in this game that of course extrapolates out to about a 35 excuse me an 85 to 72 uh, score here with a 13 point discrepancy between the two teams bet percentage 56% for Gonzaga the Ken Palm rating has Gonzaga 16 points better um, but here's the thing and I want to to give you a quick list of teams that Gonzaga has played this season with a higher Ken Palm rating than Creighton. Iowa, Virginia, and BYU. Iowa got smoked by Oregon in this tournament, a team that we have not liked at any point. I bought a cake celebrating uh, their <laughs> ouster of the tur- you know, in the tournament so far. Uh, and then Virginia. Now, you could blame the loss to Ohio based on all of the you know COVID issues that they had and all of that sort of thing but this was a Virginia team that was never that good this season you know defensively just talked about them being 34th in the country um, much worse than they normally are from a you know Ken Palm rating standpoint and so you know and BYU I mean good lord right just not a particularly good team uh, over there having getting absolutely destroyed by UCLA and so okay again I test Gonzaga it all looks really good it does like 
numbers standpoint, it all looks really good. Will they win this tournament? I don't know if we're at probably yet, but it's certainly a high possibility that they're going to win this tournament. A lot of people sort of lining up to go, okay, who can knock off Gonzaga, you know, in the next round? Can USC do it? I've certainly, you know, listen, you've listened to me, whether it's talking about my bracket or ever since, talking about how, like, this is a team that Gonzaga hasn't seen yet. They haven't seen this level of quality yet, this level of athleticism yet. Same goes for Oregon, by the way. Same goes for Florida State, same goes for Michigan, same same goes for Alabama, right? Like the path all of a sudden, you know, when we talked before the tournament started, it's like Gonzaga has this great path and look at the path and the path, path, path. And it's like, yeah, okay, because we all just sort of thought Creighton and Virginia were going to get knocked out and obviously Virginia did. But we got Creighton here and now all of a sudden we go, okay, it's Creighton, you know, not a team that we necessarily like all that much. But the path is starting to get pretty difficult now as the better teams have advanced, right? And what did we talk about when it came to Gonzaga? We talked about like, oh, look at all the teams that they've already played here in their region, Iowa, Kansas, etc. And you go, okay, well, those teams aren't around anymore. So now the path is some really difficult opponents. And when it comes to Creighton here, you know, listen, I didn't love Creighton. They could have, again, easily been knocked out in the first round. And is this the same sort of deal as Houston, where it's a under-the-radar team that not a ton of people really think all that much of, but that the metrics are actually not that bad with, right? Creighton 32nd in Ken Palm defensive efficiency. And you go, okay, like, that's not amazing. It's certainly not top 20. That's kind of what we're always looking for. But from a branding standpoint, Florida State's 31st. We just talked about Virginia being 34th, Purdue, I believe, is 33rd, and Texas is even worse than that. And these are all teams that people had going to the Final Four, with the exception of probably Virginia, right? Like, there's still a lot of people there with sitting there with Florida State making the Final Four. The Purdue upset, you know, in that first round, knocked a lot of people who thought that they were going to give Baylor a run uh, to the Final Four. Obviously, Texas, a super hot um, pick to make the Final Four as well. And, you know, fundamentally, if you just change the jerseys from a metric standpoint, Creighton's not all that different from any of those teams. And would any of those teams be 13-point underdogs to Gonzaga, right? If Florida State ends up facing Gonzaga in the Final Four, is it going to be a 13-point spread? I don't think so. Would Purdue you know, against Gonzaga, be a 13-point underdog. I don't think so either. I think it'd be more in the single digits. And I think that's what people are seeing here when they're betting this thing from 14 down to 13. Now, does it go any lower than that? Does it go back up once game day, you know, comes around here and everybody just kind of piles into Gonzaga, assuming that they're going to win this game comfortably? You know, I don't I don't know, right? Uh, I'd be willing to wait and see because I think I like Creighton here plus as many points, obviously, as we can possibly get. And Oklahoma, certainly not even the team from a metric standpoint that Creighton is. And that was a game that, you know, it was a T's and P's, thoughts and prayers to everybody who was on Oklahoma because they deserved better. They deserved the cover in that game. And I think that is going to end up being a similar situation here with Creighton. I think they're going to be the team that at the end we say, well, they deserved to get the cover. Now, whether they do or or, or don't is obviously going to come down to late game stuff potentially. But there's also a possibility that this game's just a really close game. Because from a matchup standpoint, I actually think Creighton, while being sort of just a worse version of Gonzaga, 
also at least has guys at the positions that Gonzaga is much better than most teams, right? Drew Timmy is obviously an incredibly astute offensive player in the post, but, you know, at least we get to see what happens with Christian Bishop, who's obviously a very tall, very long defender there, potentially. Now, can Timmy get him in foul trouble and get him sort of, you know, executed from this game or evacuated from this game? Yeah, he totally can. But the same goes for Zagorowski and Suggs. And, you know, I don't think that Zagorowski is a guy who just is going to wilt to a guy like Jalen Suggs. I think he thinks that he's as good as Suggs is. He might not be correct, but I think he thinks that. And it's a guy who shoots, you know, 40% from three. Obviously, you know, you've got Mitch Balak, who's... uh, you know, close to a 40%, I think it's like 39 point something from three as well. And so obviously for Creighton, it's going to come down to, are they going to be able to shoot better than they normally do? And as much as Gonzaga's sort of, you know, efficiency is, you know, really good from like a big picture standpoint, there isn't anything specifically that they do incredibly well within the structure of defense, right? It's not like they have the number one three-point defense, you know, defense. They certainly don't have, you know, Timmy as great as offensively and sound defensively. You have to be if you're going to have it, you know, be on a team that is a top 10 defensive efficiency team, but he's not a rim protector necessarily right? And it's not like he's going to get a blocked shot or two, I don't think. I mean, listen, he might luck into one or two, but he's not going to be able to meet Bishop at the rim. He's not a guy who's going to come over from the weak side and jump out of the gym to block a shot should, you know, one of these Creighton offensive players here get to the rim for a layup. And so Creighton can score in a couple of different ways here that I don't know that Oklahoma could, And so I think this game ends up being a lot closer than people think. And wouldn't it be interesting if, you know, as much as we've lined up here to try to find a team that can beat Gonzaga, and in every case we're sort of thinking, well, like, yeah, they're probably going to win, but like Alabama has a chance, or Florida State has a chance, or USC has a chance, and Oregon has a chance. Wouldn't it be something else if the team that actually won was Creighton? The team that actually knocked off Gonzaga was Creighton. Now, they would need a ton of stuff to happen here. But again, they are maybe, what, the third best team that Gonzaga's played all season long? And that's if you're considering Creighton to be worse than Virginia and and worse than Iowa. And I just don't know that that's necessarily the case, certainly in a one-game tournament-type standpoint. That being said, here are my plays. I like Creighton. Plus 13, I would take if that's what we're absolutely left with come Saturday. Anything better than that, I will be hoping to get. I'm not certainly betting Gonzaga to lose this game. I'm going to use Gonzaga in Survivor. And I think that's um, a relatively interesting strategy from a standpoint of, I think a lot of people want to save Gonzaga as long as they possibly can. And for me, I'm going to try to win this thing on Sunday or come very close to it because of the way things are set up. You know, I've got Saturday's teams lined up. Um, I didn't even mention it, but obviously Arkansas is the obvious play. Every single person on earth is going to have Arkansas as a survivor play, and they should. I think if you don't, you're just completely overthinking things. And so I talked about Loyola and Chicago being my other survivor pick. So if, if Loyola and Arkansas can survive, which I expect them to do, right now we go to the left side of the bracket, and I'll be on Gonzaga and a team I'm going to mention here coming up next. Uh 
because by the time we get back to the Gonzaga half, there's already, you know, we're going to have to go back to the right side of the bracket to pick another winner in the regional final um, of each, you know, of one of the two regions there, and then come all the way back to the other side. And sort of the best case scenario is that it's going to be USC or Oregon against Gonzaga. And I don't really feel comfortable backing Gonzaga against either of those teams when I think that there's a better option in the bottom half of this bracket. And so I'm going to take Gonzaga this this time around and I'm going to sort of hope that people are looking to save Gonzaga for, you know, 3 days down the road. The team that I'm going to use here in Survivor and this is sort of, you know, spoiling the lead here I suppose when it comes to talking about this handicap, but it's a pretty good segue. And it's Florida State. Florida State is my other survivor pick. And this is where I'm going to try to, quote unquote, win the pool. Uh, the line here, two and a half for Michigan. I think it's very easy to go, wow, that's really short with a Michigan team that we've been talking about all season long as this really, you know, are, are the, are, is this the team that's the number one team in actuality? And then, of course, they lose games and we go, and then Livers goes out and we decide that Livers is the most important player in the history of time. And then we all decide that Michigan's going out as the first one seed to go. And, of course, Illinois ends up being that team. Now, does that necessarily mean that we were all wrong and Michigan's going to go to the, going to go to the final four? Just because they beat a 16 seed and then LSU, who they got, you know, all they could handle from. But of course, late game, Michigan was, and I didn't want to say always, but was going to be the heavy favorite to at least win that game. And in this case, covered that short number, which is why we didn't bet LSU plus four um, in that game. Because again, I wasn't looking to trust them. Now, maybe it becomes a situation here where Florida State isn't trustworthy either. We've seen how how sloppy Florida State is. So this game, two and a half point spread. It was three, has ticked down towards Florida State with this two and a half number in current uh, existence. And the total, 143.5, of course, so that means about a 73-70 type game. 57% of the population on Michigan, which is actually relatively high compared to, you know, some of these other games. Um, the Ken Palm number makes Michigan a six-point favorite. That's not all that surprising because Ken Palm, you know, leans to um, a higher number. Anytime it's sort of a shorter number, that's actually more of, a, you know, kind of an interesting element. Um, from a handicap standpoint, I think this is going to be a more defensive game than maybe this number indicates. So if you're a totals better, I would certainly have a lean to under 143 and a half. But I think I've got bigger fish to fry when it comes to this game. So what do we see here? Well, first thing we look for is, okay, what's Michigan's advantage over most teams? And that's obviously Hunter Dickinson and some of the wing players that they have, right? You know, Wagner, for example. Um, but Dickinson's going to face more length here in Kopravica and his you know backup that comes off the bench um, that's a good 10 fouls if nothing else now I know Dickinson can shoot the you know free throws pretty well but point is is that I think this is going to be a more physical game now these two guys aren't necessarily the most physical centers in the universe either so a lot of it's going to come down to how is this game called so when he when Dickinson's pushing those guys around down low you know, is he going to be able to do so without getting called for a foul? That might actually be kind of backfire in his case, because if these guys are getting pushed around easily, certain referees will attribute fouls to that player, right? And like if Koprovitz is flopping all over the place, that could be troublesome for Dickinson. Obviously, there's a length element there as well. And 
you know, there's going to be help also from Florida State. This is an incredibly long team. And as efficient as Michigan is, they're also not like the most athletic or most lengthy team in the entire world. From a Florida State standpoint, the shooting progression here. They're a team that shoots it pretty well. 39% from three-point land this season. I believe that led the ACC or was pretty close to leading the ACC. And that's actually slightly more made per game than Michigan. But we had Florida State in their first two games go 22%. Six for 27 from the three-point line. And they smoked both those teams, right? Zero for nine against UNC Greensboro. And they still won the game by 10. And they turn the ball over 15 times, which is what Florida State does. They've turned the ball over 15 times in each game. And so they turned it over 15 times. They didn't get a three-pointer, and they won by 10. Now, is that a drag for our minus 10 and a half? Yeah, it was. Like, I wouldn't have mind them mixing in a three-pointer in there. I think we probably cover that spread if they're able to shoot at all. But they weren't able to shoot much better in the next game. Six of, what, I believe 18, something along those lines, against Colorado. But defensively, they were able to shut Colorado down. Colorado looked atrocious. They were out-rebounded by Colorado. They turned the ball over 15 times. Did any of that matter? No, because they just absolutely destroyed Colorado defensively. They were not able to, they were really able to get a decent shot off. And when they did, they missed, which obviously was a regression element from Colorado shooting so well against Georgetown. So what's the issue? What's the bugaboo for Florida State? What's the problem? Why aren't they winning every single game ever if they're able to win games without actually shooting well and without actually rebounding well? Well, it's because they turn the ball over a ton and they've lost a couple of games to Georgia Tech down the stretch here because Georgia Tech is really good at turning you over, right? Whether it's Jose Alvarado or some of those other guards digging in and stealing the ball. If you saw the ACC tournament final, you're sitting there going like, Man, this Florida State team's really sloppy. And they are fundamentally, right? We saw UNCG turn them over 15 times. But again, that's not the be-all and end-all when it comes to Florida State. So what about Michigan? How good are they at turning you over? Are they going to be that team like Georgia Tech that's going to be able to turn Florida State over to a degree where they're going to get all these extra possessions? 336th in the nation in forcing turnovers. It's just not something that Michigan does, right? Michigan is the, we want to force you into a bad shot, and then we want to defensive rebound the heck out of you, right? And that's how they get stops. They don't turn the ball over. They don't get out on the break after doing so. Florida State, obviously from a size standpoint, are they the best offensive rebounding team in the country? No, but they're a very good offensive rebounding team. And if the instruction there from Leonard Hamilton in this game is crash the offensive glass, I think that's going to make a really big difference. And because Michigan, listen, they love to get out and run if possible. Um, and would crashing the glass necessarily, you know, preclude, uh, you know, Florida State from being able to stop those defensive runouts? Maybe that ends up being the case, but I think Florida State's length and athleticism is going to shut that down a great deal for Michigan. And so if Florida can stay can get a fair amount of offensive rebounds and avoid turning the ball over a ton and just get any kind of three-point shooting. And one of the red flags of their season, of their schedule here over the last couple of weeks here, basically the last month, is that loss to Notre Dame. And if you've been following along with the podcast, you're like, wow, like, 
what what happened in that game? And it's easy on a busy Saturday to just go like, oh, that was a weird result, and then just kind of move on with our lives and, you know, talk about other games that we actually had bets on because we didn't even have a bet on in, in that game. But, you know, we had MJ Walker just firing up an alarming amount of threes. I think he shot, like, 16 times like the most he's shot all season long and he made like two of them it was a complete horror show from his standpoint they did their usual turn the ball over etc etc but they were also fouling notre dame a ton that was a game where notre dame went to the line like 12 i think at least a good dozen more times than florida state did and so you know is that something that michigan's going to be able to take advantage of and obviously we talked about the dickinson matchup down low and some of these other guys you know are just from an athletic standpoint, like Scotty Barnes potentially being matched up against Wagner. Or what if it's Raekwon Gray, right? Like that's a size agility matchup that Wagner certainly has never seen anything like. Uh, you know, MJ Walker can guard and can match up with, you know, the smaller guards on Michigan. And then you throw in the element of Barnes being able to kind of guard basically one through five on most lineups and certainly one through four when it comes to Michigan. I think defensively, Florida State's going to have a ton of success here against Michigan. I think offensively, they're going to have a ton of success getting more shots when they're not turning the ball over. And if they can shoot to their average, right, which is about 40%, from the three-point line, I think they're going to win this game outright. So my pick for Survivor on day two, if I get there, is Florida State um, from a strategic standpoint. I used Michigan last week, so I don't even have them to use. But I was one of the few that used Michigan on Monday, where a lot of people were using Creighton, um, and rightly so, obviously, and a lot of people were using USC at UCLA, which I did as well. I think... A lot of people pile into Michigan here, given a couple of these other games. Now, certainly, you know, maybe it's because they save Gonzaga. Maybe it's a Gonzaga-Michigan combo because they don't want to trust, you know, UCLA-Alabama or they don't want anything to do with USC-Oregon, which all makes a ton of sense here. So I'm hoping people take Michigan. And I'd rather be on the opposite side there from sort of a pod odd standpoint in a survivor pool, um, you know, just to sort of see if I can get a differentiation there. Next up, UCLA-Alabama. And these last two games, I don't necessarily have a ton for you when it comes to individual bets because I'm pretty committed here in the case of UCLA-Alabama. The line, 6.5. The total, 145.5. The bet percentage, 54% on the side of Alabama. To be honest with you, kind of thought it would be a little higher than that. From a Ken Palm rating standpoint, Bama's actually only a 5-point um, favorite, if you will, um, there. And, you know, we sort of said red flag anytime there. That's a lower number than the actual point spread is. Obviously, last we saw of Alabama, they were blitzing the hell out of Maryland from a three-point standpoint, which is what Alabama does, right? They took half of their shots were three-pointers, and that's kind of what they do. And the other half are pretty much layups, right? And so from a handicap standpoint, like UCLA, obviously from a branding standpoint, you go, okay, like they've won three games here. They knocked off Michigan State. By the way, could have easily lost to Michigan State. And that's the fun of this tournament, looking back and going like, man, if you had just sort of time traveled back to this one moment against, for example, Michigan State, where you're just like, oh, Michigan State's going to win this game. They're going to move on to play BYU and like, who knows what's going to happen. And maybe they end up beating BYU because I don't think BYU is very good, which side note is kind of, you know, a, if you don't think BYU is very good, that doesn't do a ton for Gonzaga's reputation necessarily. Uh, and so, 
you go, okay, uh, but UCLA then gets uh, Abilene Christian, which, you know, everybody sort of talked about this week as being basically the worst win in the history of the worst upset in the history of college hoops because of how, you know, they didn't really deserve to beat Texas and Texas gave that to them and all of that sort of thing. And of course, you know, that sort of comes out in the wash against UCLA when UCLA wins that game comfortably. But the point is, is like, okay, they just got by Michigan State, a team that we haven't thought that much of at any point this season, and then a BYU team and an ACU team that just aren't particularly good either, and now you're going up against Alabama here, and you go, okay, Alabama shooting regression, what's the situation there? Well, they were 16 of 33 against Maryland, which is, you know, again, not even 50%. We're not talking like a Colorado level, just shooting the lights out. There's a bunch of different guys taking those shots. So it's not like one guy in the case of like a Buddy Bayheim, for example, where it's just he's lighting it up necessarily. Um, it's not like Maryland didn't do well from the three-point line either. Maryland hit 10 threes of their own, which isn't necessarily a thing that Maryland's known for. So, you know, Maryland shoots 10 threes, or makes 10 threes, I should say. They're going to feel like pretty good about being in that game. And they just weren't. <laughs> they just got absolutely trucked despite getting 10 threes. Is UCLA going to be able to put together 10 threes? Are they going to be able to stop Bama from a three-point shooting standpoint? Well, they're 212th on three-point defense, allowing about 35% um, on, you know, which would be... You know, obviously about 11 three-pointers if you sort of factor in, okay, well, Alabama's going to shoot, you know, 32, 33, something along those lines, right? Well, you're already behind the eight ball there if you're the UCLA and you're giving up 11 threes. That's sort of like a low uh, estimate type of a thing, right? Um, do you have the firepower, right? Like Bama had the firepower to withstand 10 threes from Maryland, but does UCLA have that firepower against Alabama. And it isn't just about, okay, does UCLA have the firepower as if there's sort of nothing to sort of look at when it comes to Alabama. Alabama's a top five defensive efficiency team. And as much as we sort of get into that front line, top of the line, headline type thing with, oh, Alabama, if they make their threes, they can beat anybody. The reason they can beat anybody is because their defense is really, really good. And they can switch on everything, which is problematic for a ton of teams. They have a ton of length. They can test everything. They are well coached. You know, again, I don't want to pick on Musselman necessarily, but when we look at Alabama and Arkansas, you know, the difference in to me is that Nate Oates is a better coach than Musselman is from a game planning standpoint. And so, and wouldn't it be wild if we got those two in the national championship? And so I don't have a bet in this game because I have Alabama futures at 115 to one from back in the summer. We've been over this a billion times. So it fundamentally comes down to, do I want to let it ride and consider this to be my Alabama bet? And if I lose it, that's just, I'm losing the stake on that futures play. Or do I want to hedge? And at six and a half here, I'm leaning to not even bothering hedging, which should sort of, sort of give you an idea of what I feel about this game and my confidence in maybe not necessarily Alabama covering the spread, but in them winning this game outright. Talked about the survivor element. I think Michigan is a popular survivor play. I think Gonzaga is a replacement for Alabama here if you don't want to pick Alabama, right? I think if you're going with sort of my strategy of like, let's put it all out on the table here on Sunday and take the quote unquote underdog in Florida State, and that's worth you know, taking Gonzaga in that first game to sort of hope that that it only comes down to Florida State. 
But I think Alabama is your third option here if you want to save Gonzaga for whatever reason, or if you're going to go with, you know, Gonzaga and you don't want to touch Florida State. Maybe I've talked you out of, you know, Michigan, but you're not fully into Florida State. Maybe this becomes an Alabama-Gonzaga combination. For me, I am... I dread to say it, but like confident enough in Alabama's capability of winning this game that their matchup with, again, it would have to be Florida State or I'm already out. I think they can beat Florida State and I think they would be favored in that game. And so, you know, obviously if they face Michigan, I'm out anyway, so it doesn't really matter uh, about sort of saving teams from a survivor standpoint. But I would have to be waiting around until Tuesday by the time this game would even come up. So nothing necessarily from like a game betting standpoint here, but really just more informative on sort of how I'm going to play it when it comes to both Survivor and um, hedged or no hedge type of a thing. Uh, next up, USC, Oregon. And this is just, I mean, it, frankly, just too late at night because not enough people, especially on a Sunday, are going to stay up for this game. And that's going to be a shame because I think this game's going to be outstanding. USC is a two and a half point favorite. The total 138, that you know projects out to about a 70 to 68 type matchup. 53% of the population on USC. I thought that's a number that's a little bit low considering we saw this number move from USC minus one all the way up to two and a half. It's starting to come crawl back a little bit where some twos are getting back into the mix here. Ken Palm has USC as a five point favorite in this game as we've said since what february i believe 17th when i introduced oregon as our as another futures play to our portfolio i don't know that that matters right like i don't know that the ken palm numbers really matter here because essentially we're just looking at the last couple of weeks of the season for oregon and when we talk about the games that they've lost there's one to usc and there's one to oregon state well the oregon state one's looking a lot better um, you know, they beat Oregon State at Oregon State a week or so beforehand. Then they go and they play in the Pac-12 tournament. They lose to Oregon State. Oregon State shoots over 50% from three. So they essentially gave them their medicine back from Oregon shooting 14 of 21 in that game against Oregon State. So I'm not going to beat Oregon up for losing to Oregon State, especially as we've seen Oregon State over the last couple of uh, of weeks here pile up really quality wins and then so we have to look back at the usc oregon game and again if you've been following along with this podcast you probably are more acutely aware of oregon's season or certainly the back end of their season but we were talking about it on basically a daily basis where they took that trip to arizona play, facing two tough teams that they were about you know pick them games maybe two point underdogs something along those lines and they beat arizona state and they beat arizona and that was the welcome to the mix moment right where oregon was an 11 or a 10 seed sort of in that zone from a seeding standpoint and then they went home and they played colorado right the first place team in the pac-12 at that time i believe certainly you know a team that we thought highly of we still do think highly of them even though they just played an atrocious game against florida state and they get a big win against colorado at home they then get a win on the weekend. I believe that was a Thursday night game. They, of course, they you know that's the Pac-12 schedule. Uh, then they play Saturday against Utah, and they hang in. They win that game. You know, don't cover that game. And then all of a sudden, they have a random Monday fill-in replacement game at USC, where they just travel to USC for a random Monday game. And USC is waiting for them. And you know, listen, I don't have to tell you about how good USC is, but when you're not ready to go and USC is still sitting there waiting for you at home. 
you're going to be in trouble. And they were. And they got absolutely blown out in the first half, down 20, 22 points at halftime, where USC was making everything, and their defense was locked in. And it was just an incredibly tough scheduling spot with not a ton of preparation time, given how important the you know the Colorado game was for example and then having another game after that so like you know Dana Altman the guy who's the difference maker from a coaching standpoint for Oregon didn't have an opportunity to prepare for this USC team the guys just kind of went out there and hoped for the best and they absolutely ate one in that game now does that mean that USC is going to like dominate is all of a sudden like they're the much better team I don't think that's the case and you know it's a tough one for me because listen you know, talked about USC having a chance to beat Gonzaga in the next round. I think Oregon has a chance to beat Gonzaga in the next round. It's just easier for me to see with USC because of the physical advantages that USC will have, especially defensively. So it can be tricky in thinking like, well, USC has a better chance to beat Oregon, excuse me, to beat Gonzaga, but I actually think Oregon wins this game. And at two and a half points, I certainly would take Oregon plus two and a half. Now, I've got all sorts of considerations with both of these teams. I've got Oregon 70-1 to to win the national championship. I've got Oregon 14-1 to to win the region. I've got USC 19-1 to to win the region. I think, as I mentioned, USC has a better chance to beat Gonzaga. I certainly talked about that for my bracket. Now, that's dead. So, like, how much do I even really care about that element? I'm just happy these two teams are playing each other, quite frankly. And... Um, you know, I suppose I'm going to be cheering for Oregon. I would I would bet Oregon plus the two and a half here. Um, I don't think the mat, the first matchup means anything. I think the time, the preparation time here for Altman having, what, five days plus to prepare for USC. You know, I don't know that you can ever get used to the length that USC is going to throw at Oregon, which is, by and large, a pretty small team. So that could be problematic. And if USC ends up winning the game, I'll sort of shrug my shoulders and go, okay, we'll take USC into a, you know, 19-1 to into the next round, presumably against Gonzaga, and we'll just sort of be like, okay, like, is what it is. But if you're getting a couple of points here in what I think is going to be a pretty coin flip type game where you just want to pop some popcorn on a Sunday night and watch it, I think that's the play for me. So from a summary standpoint, four tiers um, with these eight games. The top two tiers uh, are bets that I will, you know, or that, that I will or would make depending on what's going to happen here. So the first tier is the best bets, right? The bets that, you know, are the biggest financial endeavor, if you will, uh, Florida State money line plus 120. Saw some plus 130s early on the week. Does that come back? I don't know. You know, if it gets to three, is a better bet just taking the plus three? I just feel like if Florida State's in this game, they're going to win this game. And it's not going to be a situation where I want, you know, um, I'm going to need points here because if Michigan wins, I think they're going to they're going to win, you know, seven, eight points, something along those lines. But I think there's a good enough chance here for Florida State that that's the bet that I'm willing to sort of ride with here um, as my big play for this week. And the other one that I like is Creighton, right? Plus 13 again, more points that we can get the better on game day. We've got, of course, until Sunday for the market to sort of stabilize itself. Does it drop it any further? Does it go back to 14? You know, I don't know. We'll see. But obviously, the more points, the better. Those are my two best bets for this round, both happening, of course, on Sunday. My second tier bets. One is Oral Roberts plus 11 and a half. 
Um, pretty standard stuff that I talked about before. I don't have anything significant on this other than I think Arkansas is the no-brainer survivor play. And if that gets knocked out, then that gets knocked out. But there's certainly a big enough window there between 11 and a half and losing the game outright here. Um, you know, or, or in the case of Oral, winning the game outright um, for me to pl make that a uh, pretty good play. The Oregon plus two and a half it's, it's a game that, again, I, if it wasn't for all this consideration, I would bet Oregon plus two and a half. So I will make that a bet, especially if Gonzaga loses. Because if Gonzaga loses, that opens up, obviously, a better path for my final four, my national championship future for Oregon. And um, right, it just becomes more, I don't have to worry as much about USC being the better matchup against Gonzaga you know, if Gonzaga's not around anymore. So obviously that's sort of a if, you know, if and when type of thing. Um, I don't necessarily think Gonzaga's going to lose, but again, we've seen stranger things here. So that would be my sort of second tier. If you don't have all these USC Oregon considerations, I would certainly recommend Oregon plus two and a half as a bet for Sunday night. The third tier, games that I'm not particularly crazy about and, you know, talked about like sort of gunpoint if you absolutely had to bet it and you absolutely needed it for a spread pool or something along those lines. Villanova plus seven and a half, Oregon State plus seven. I already talked about how I would bet that game with Loyola Chicago. But again, if we're talking about point spreads, that's why it's in the third tier. You know, I don't love necessarily either of those, uh, but it is what it is. And then finally, the tier where it's again, stay away, Alabama and Houston. Now, a lot of the times that means take the favorite, because if I'm not willing to back the underdog, that usually means the favorite's a pretty good bet in these two situations. So sort of take that for what it's worth. As they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. Yes, thanks, Laszlo. Before we go, a little let's do that hockey. Last night, a little wild night uh, in the NHL. Dodged a couple of bullets when it comes to... Well, actually, three bullets, technically. Um, we were looking for plus 150 with Columbus. We were also looking for not Jonas Cor Corpusalo to be in the net. Um, so neither of those things um, came to fruition. Corpusalo was in the net. Uh, I never saw anything um, that would you know, give us plus 150. So didn't end up playing that game. Carolina takes the lead and you're sitting there going like, glad I really didn't do that. Then all of a sudden it ends up in overtime and you go, well, maybe I should have. And then Carolina ends up winning the game. And so you go, you know what? You're right. I shouldn't have done that. Good. Nice. Great. Uh, Florida never gets to minus 120. Great news there because Chicago wins again uh, as a small underdog. So bullet dodged in that department. And then, of course, you're watching Ottawa and Toronto and you're in, you know, in overtime and Ottawa's, you know, plus 250, plus 260, whatever. And you're just sitting there going like, just bet the number. Like, it doesn't matter the situation when it's that outrageous, just bet the number. Because obviously that minus 300, minus 320, whatever that ended up being, was just completely outrageous. Like, it just is like how these numbers are just constantly dealt the way that they are is just beyond me. But then Toronto gets the overtime winner. And like, again, how sad is it that they're just celebrating this overtime winner as though like they've moved on to the next round of the playoffs when it's like, you know, you just beat a really banged up, really shorthanded Ottawa Senators team, right? And it's like, just give us any win we can possibly get here. And if you're willing to bet minus 300 on a team that's just dying for a win against Ottawa, more power to you. So, you know, again, 
plus 280, whatever, anything over plus 200, to be honest with you. Really good bet that goes to die. Obviously, Columbus at plus 150 would have been a, a bet that went to die that was have been a pretty good value. Um, so bullets dodged across the board there. And so what we were left with were the two bets that we liked on the podcast yesterday. So no change from that standpoint. And that was, of course, Nashville and Detroit. Detroit plus 160. Um, and you're sitting there going like, yeah, like why why is this number so high, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just a matter of information. And an hour before the game starts and the bet's already been placed, it's like Jonathan Bernier is out tonight and it's Thomas Grice again and his backup Calvin Picard and both of those guys stink at stopping hockey pucks and you're just saddled with this. And you go, oh, so somebody knew that Bernier wasn't going to go and that's why that number was inflated the way that we talked about it being inflated yesterday. So incredibly annoying loss because it was a loss essentially as, as soon as the puck was dropped. And, you know, unless you're vigilant about knowing who these goaltenders are, you can't assume anything, especially with these teams who, you know, are waiting to the absolute last second to tell you who's going to start. And it's in completely infuriating. So again, once we get back to regular season hockey next year, if you think we're doing this every day, you're sadly mistaken. That being said, it's all a matter of waiting for the playoffs because... What do we know about the playoffs? We don't have three-on-three BS. We don't have shootout BS. We know who the starting goaltenders are going to be, right? We know what we're getting out of these teams. And so to save the night, now we need, oh, great, Dallas to actually win a hockey game. That's what we need to sort of save the day, given that we were on these two games at plus 150 or better. And Dallas storms back. They take a 3-2 lead into the third you know, guarding it as best they can. They've been the better team throughout, you know, out shooting, out chancing, everything, all of that sort of thing. We even got an incredible save out of Jake Ottinger to keep us in the game early on. And now we've got a 3-2 lead going into late in the third period. And of course, like a sketchy, like, was it interference? Was it not? Who knows? Uh, looked a little interference to me, but you can't risk it because you might get a penalty because God knows what the NHL is doing when it comes to their review system um, and what they're going to actually call. So you have to let it go. But that, that's a tying goal for Tampa Bay. And you're like, oh, God, we're going to three on three. We're going to go to the shootout. Like, there's no way this ends well. And it ended up ending well. And we didn't even need to go to overtime because Dallas scores a beautiful transition goal. And Dallas ends up winning and we end up profitable on the day and turns the week back into profitable. We've bet five games this week in our return to let's do that hockey through Tuesday through Thursday. We have gone two and three, but because two of them were better than plus 150, and that's the importance of plus 150, right? Because they were both better than plus 150, we end up up three units on those two games so that if we lose three units. We are still up on the week. Obviously, one of those losses was the goaltending shenanigans for the Red Wings, and another loss was Vancouver somehow having four unexpected unex uh, goals for and not actually scoring uh, against Winnipeg. Um, so again, you know, a couple of frustrating losses in these five games that we've played. Uh, I wrote a preview for the Action Network app out today should be there in the app uh, on Calgary and Winnipeg. And this isn't going to come as to any surprise to you. You know, Winnipeg overvalued, Calgary undervalued. But the reason why is a little bit interesting and it comes and it has to do with their conversion rate from a high danger scoring chance uh, standpoint since Daryl Sutter took over. 
they are not converting at a even half, or I guess it's barely above half, um, of a league average. They're at 8.8% of their high danger chances. So they've had 71 high danger chances. They've scored just six goals in the 10 games since firing the coach. Um, does that have anything to do with coaching? I don't think so. You know, maybe these sort of hockey heads out there seem maybe think that the you know the conversions aren't happening because the team's nervous about Daryl. So I don't think that's the case. I just think it's um, kind of just a rough stretch, and I think that regresses or progresses to the mean, which means for the next seventy-one chances, they'll be hitting at a above-average rate from a scoring standpoint. So maybe that regression starts tonight, maybe it doesn't, but at a price of minus 120 here with Calgary, I think that's certainly worth the play for Friday night, which is all we've got for that one. Um, Hope did write something for the Action Network for hockey this weekend, at least for Saturday, because we don't have games, obviously, you know, for college hoops going until two o'clock. That's um, obviously, though, our main focus back on. So no shows this weekend. Um, I just gave you the preview for Saturday and Sunday. Why would I have a show on Saturday or Sunday? Um, back on Monday to obviously review the weekend. How did we do? How did that go? What happened? How did we get screwed? How did we not? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then we'll preview the two games on Monday night that, uh, you know, again, kind of no matter what how these matchups shake down um, in the Midwest and what is it, the South, I think there's going to be pretty good matchups. Like we're skipping sort of a step here with these kind of bummer matchups. But, you know, a Baylor-Arkansas, for example, like that's a pretty good game. Um, Loyola-Syracuse, Loyola-Houston, like that's a pretty good game. If Oregon State's good enough to beat Loyola, then that becomes interesting against either Syracuse or Houston. So I think it's going to be sort of a more interesting matchups um, on Monday. And then Tuesday, I don't think you can possibly go wrong with the matchups there. So hopefully everything goes according to plan this weekend. By the way, don't forget, whether you're betting college basketball or hockey, coolbet.com, um, type in window is as the promo code. The link is in the bio. Help show your support. And by the way, you get free money to bet with um, over at coolbet.com for Canadians out there. Um, anyway, uh, enjoy the weekend, everybody. As always, subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. I know you guys have been reviewing. I know you guys have been rating, and I appreciate that a ton. It helps like you don't believe. At Authentic on Twitter. Until Monday, I'll see you at the window.